Hey, what is up? It is the Phantom Power Artist Hour. And uh, we got a great episode today. We are going to be talking with electronic and hip-hop music producer Real Richard from the Bay Area. You know him over on Wavelake for such songs as Rules Without Rulers, Turn Up the Hash, Rogue, Timekeeper, Chapter Zero, as well as God Candle. We have a really cool conversation about electronica music, about synthesizers, about songwriting. I love his thought process with respect to uh, parts and what he thinks about visually with respect to different instruments. I had never thought of it that way. I think it's really cool. We also had a really great conversation about value for value in Bitcoin and, and how excited we are for this whole value verse. So let's check out his lead song, which is called God Candle, and then we will bring him on the show. Cool? Everybody ready? Got your wallets all uh, stacked up with some sats? You ready to share? We're splitting the show with him, so uh, certainly hope you guys are going to send up a lot of boosts and zaps. All right, I will shut up, and let's check out God Candle by Real Richard, and then we'll bring him on the show. Here we go. Begins. 
All right, welcome to the Phantom Power Artist Hour and the track that we just heard from Real Richard is called God Candle and it is his top track over on Wave Lake. So please welcome hip hop and electronic music producer Real Richard to the show. What's up, dude? Thanks for coming on. Hello, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so where... You know, I mean, I, I can see on your profile picture, it looks like you're standing in snow. Where, where are you physically? Um, where, where? That's an old picture I had for like my Google account a long time ago. But uh, currently I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what's your, um, your uh, musical background? Like what, where are you from originally? I'm from, I'm from the Bay Area. Um, and my musical background was, uh, honestly, I think I was like... 12, 13, I started listening to Eminem and a bunch of these rappers, and I thought they were the coolest. And then um, a buddy showed me like how to make beats, and we made pretty bad beats for a long time. And over time, we just got better and better. And then I took piano, I took choir, I learned a little bit of guitar. So learning music theory, and over time, I've just been doing it since, off and on. Uh, never pursuing it too seriously, but um, just been making music since I was a little kid. So you, so like your first instrument then really was um, electronic, right? Like Yeah, it was Fruit of Loops, I remember, because this is like 56K era before high-speed internet. And we're <laughs> downloading like a, a 10 megabyte program, and it's taken all day to download it. But yeah, my first era was uh, electronic music, just programming and drums, just learning how to do something super basic. All right, so let's get it. Like what was your first... Uh, what platform you know like i mean were you sitting there working on a on a casio on a roland like what we no, no, it was on a computer it was on a computer and you were we were just like um especially in electronic music and hip-hop music it's very sample based a lot of it yeah. isn't recording you know i'm programming the drums i'm programming like uh even the, the instruments i play they're they're over midi and that's programmed as well okay so for somebody who when you got you know you got your start in electronica and and computer based, and then you kind of have to step out of that to little to to understand uh, you know some of the music theory behind what you're trying to do. T talk me through that thought process. Like what what were some of the challenges there? Well, yeah, there was challenges, but at the same time, as I was learning how to program and produce music on the computer, I was taking piano lessons in in, okay. in school. I, t I did choir for a few years. So I was learning music theory and how to like uh, arrange music through, you know, learning classical music as well, and choir music. And then I, I taught myself a little bit of guitar on on YouTube, but not, I'm not very good at that at all. Uh, but just learning all the music theory was through choir and piano, for the most part. Okay, like and that was that was the same time with, with the music production things. Yeah. Well, what part of the theory did you uh, did you enjoy the most? I mean, because I, um, I. I have taken a boatload of theory in my time. Um, and one of my most favorite aspect of uh, projects that I had to do was writing four part counterpart, um, you know, kind of like, um, you know, if, if you had a string section, that type of thing, uh, what, what's been the most uh, enjoyable part of, of learning theory for you? You know, initially I just wanted to learn how to like recreate just cool songs, songs that I enjoyed. But over time, I'm realizing like uh, just the little changes, you know, like uh, just adding a, making a basic chord, like a triad, you know, let's just take C major for for instance. And then you could add a seventh or these little changes to chords. It's just one note. 
and then uh, whether you add dissonance or just add an octave up, octave down, it can really change the mood of the entire track. And just, I really like that aspect uh, of just very mi minor changes that just have dramatic impact on the the tone and timbre of the track. Yeah. Do you do you feel are like different? Uh, did di different keys give you a different vibe? I mean, if you're if you're writing something in, <clears throat> you know, A flat minor and and it's not hitting you the way it should, and then you maybe you try it in F minor and and it, it kind of hits you different. That do, do you do, does that relate to you? Do you find that or or is it all the same to you? No, it actually does because at least in electronic music, uh, the 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 pulsating rhythm is the kick drum, and you know I typically like the the root of my kick drum to be the forty to eighty hertz. Uh, this is very technical, but yeah, I like it a certain range, and there's certain keys that make the kick drum hit harder. And then you know one aspect of electronic music is the speaker, and so the speaker is an instrument too, and uh, just banging, having your drums bang or like you know the bass line or, or the root of it smack through the speakers is a big part of it. So uh, I do I do try to pick keys that make the kick drum and the bass line just smack really hard. Yeah, no, I, I that's refreshing to hear. Um, and you can, dude, you can get as technical as you want because I'm okay. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny we're sitting here talking like you're talking about forty to eighty hertz, and I'm sitting I'm sitting here staring at the graph, you know, of uh, that uh, of the microphone and talking to you know just looking at where our EQs are popping up. So you're yeah you're <laughs> you're in a safe space if you want to go all the way into hertz and whatnot, man. That's cool. Um, yeah, I I completely agree with you. You know, if like one of the things that I I find a lot when I'm writing on piano is you know I, I'll I'll take the idea and I'll transpose it into into different keys um, and just see which one uh, feels the best. Not not in terms of 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 ease of playing per se, but just like where does it resonate with my soul the most? Because I don't think you know if you're writing in your composing something if you haven't found the most reflective aspect of it with respect to your soul uh it's not going to relate as much to others i don't know yeah i that, agree, I agree entirely. yeah yeah, yeah. i mean just even thinking about it you know when you write melodies just choosing the correct octave even though it's the same key just changing the octave will just change the entire you know the like you said the soul of the track and so when i'm writing leads or i'm writing like just melody ideas uh, same thing. Am I in the right octave? And then you got to contrast it with the chords and all of those things. They all play play a part in just like choosing the right key, choosing the right octave, uh, choosing the right brightness of a track. All that stuff matters. Yeah. So you mentioned like you you got into this because you liked what Eminem was doing and and some of the other you know rappers that you were listening to coming up. Um, and you're like, man, that's cool. I got to figure out how to do that. But now that you're deeper into this and you've got a whole host of music out there and you're doing really well, like on the wave lake and you know, you're co-writing with Joe or you're co-writing with Quex. Like how, what, what's your take on, on songwriting now? Why, why do you do it? What, what is in it for you? For me, uh, I, I get a one, I get a lot of joy out of it. Um, it's just, you know, like it's one of my few hobbies left outside of like just working out. And then uh, this, it feels like every time I write a track now, it feels like I'm, uh, I'm creating a world. I once had a cousin I used to write music with. And uh, one time he asked me, what are, you, what are you seeing? And I was, I was just talking about this kick. And he was like, no, 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 stop, stop. 
what 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 is the main character in this song doing? And I, and then that just changed the way I viewed music writing ever since. And then and now every time I write a song, I'm like, what what is happening? And so like, where's the character? So the baseline is a character to me now. The drum the drums are a character. Like uh, even the effects and and where do I put that character? in the aspect of the world is the production part mixing making everything sound uh, a part of a universe you know and so like when i'm writing these songs it feels like world building and if it, i feel like a little kid to be honest it's just very joyful to me to write music and produce me music even if it's for other people whether i'm remixing or just mixing their tracks too uh i get a lot of joy out of it and it's and then the the, the more joy you get out of this because i think i'm improving which i, I hope so and uh, the fact that I, I feel like I'm getting better at, at it as well adds more to the joy too. And it's just a very positive reinforcing loop, you know, where you're spiraling upwards. I am, I am really fascinated by that response. Um, I have never heard anybody talk about the, the musical elements of their compositions be like characters. Um, dude, you know? I, I've, I've, you know, like, I think it was like two years ago. I really, uh, I really studied pop music and, and electronic music, and some of the even super simple ones. And to me, it's like you know, m manipulating stereo with manipulating brightness, darkness, loudness, all of these things is similar. I, I look at it as a movie now, where you know, like certain scenes in a movie is going to be darker, certain scenes are going to be brighter. The tone of yeah. the colors change, and so then the mixing aspect is just as much of the songwriting as the melody and the chord and the progression aspect of it. And so I've. I've I really try to like when I change sections in a song, I really want the listener to feel like they're changing scenes in a movie. And so like, I, like to cre I'll create tension where I increase the width of a song and just to take it all away in the next part, you know, yeah. and all of these things feel, makes me feel like I'm going through like this journey mm -hmm. as a writer. And that's just what I hope the listener gets across when they listen to it. I, that is really cool. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast and talk, especially talking to younger writers, just to understand how you, uh, go about your craft, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that for a number of reasons. Number one, I am not a visual thinker at all. Not in any way, mm. shape, not in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I, as you can see, I'm in my fifties, right? Yeah. Um, but I've been playing in bands for 40 years and, um, I literally to this day, like when I'm doing my day job in the finance industry, I'm sitting there running numbers and I have guitar lines and opera lines and musical themes running through my head, but never, ever, ever have I ever associated it. Have I, have I ever tried to associate it with images? And I think that that is such a, such a really cool perspective. And I'm going to steal that from you. And I thank you for, for that idea. Um, and I, and I don't know, maybe that's cause like, and, and, and if I'm wrong and if this is offensive, you, you let me know, but maybe that's cause like you, you came up in the generation of like video game kids and shit like that. Right. Like, yeah, that, for sure. I, I did play yeah? a shit ton of video games growing up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I do like w when people ask me to critique their songs or produce songs or work in the studio with bands, I, I do look at songs like they're a section of the house, you know, I'm like, okay, the, the, the intro is the, is the entryway or, or the front porch and, and every section of, of the song should be a different room. 
I, I, I have used that analogy quite a bit, but I've never characterized it, you know, like, you know, like, oh, the lead guitar line is the villain or the melody is the heroine, you know, uh, the drummer is, um, you know, the action figure, what, whatever it is. I, I, I think that's really cool, man. That's really cool. It, it really helps me put like, um, I think I took this from, I took this concept and then I really practiced it from this producer named Kashmir. He makes electronic music, but yeah. uh, it really helped me put in what is important in the song. Cause sometimes, uh, you know, we, as a producer, as a, as a musician, you want to put all your cool ideas. Cause in a song, you're going to come up with a lot of different ideas and elements you want to put in. But when it comes down to it, you need to prioritize. Like, uh, maybe this, this section, the bass guitar is the most important. And, uh, and uh, the bass line is the most important, not all the chords that you've written just like uh, for eight bars ago or four bars ago. You need to back that part off. You might have to filter out all the highs in that section. And so this really helps me uh, just prioritize. Like in this part of the movie or in this part of the uh, the, the painting, is the, the tree going to be the biggest part? Is the is the bird on the tree the most important part? You know, and it just really helps you prioritize and uh, yeah, take a step back because we all have great ideas. I think most people have great ideas, but uh, making it a, those great ideas into a great song requires a lot of triage and prioritization. And this this uh, aspect of viewing music really helped me out. That's some deep shit, man. That's like, I mean, <laughs> I've been sober for like 23 years, but I was yeah. sitting, I've been sitting here going, damn, this is like, I'm like on shrooms again or something. <laughs> really you, you know, and doing this too makes me do things I've never done before. Like I would yeah. cut so much highs out of uh, the, 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 the hi hats. And, and then, but then, so you only feel it. You don't even really hear it in certain parts of uh, a song or something. Or I'm cutting highs out of different areas because I, I keep telling myself, what is the most, most important part of this track right now? And, and so, and yeah. doing that is helping me mixing just. Yeah. You know, you know my, my biggest pet peeve when playing, cause I, I, I will be honest, Richard, like I, I have very little experience in, in the electronica world. Mm -hmm. uh, but my biggest pet peeve in terms of like a live band and, and playing with live musicians is that they do not understand that they are not the most important person. Like you have to, it is always about what, what is best for the song. Always, yeah. always. And I don't care if you, if you sound like Angus Young and Eddie Van Halen had a baby, I don't care if you're that good of a guitar player. If the song requires you to just play two notes, two strings the whole damn time, if you can't do that, you are not worth my time. Um, yeah. You, you know, it's always about the song. It's always about the song. Um, so that's refreshing to hear that coming from um, an electronica uh, artist. What, what, what do you think um, is the biggest mi misconception about hip-hop um and then what do you think is the biggest misconception about electronica? I don't know if there's misconception. I mean, or, or is it like with respect to racism or to hip hop? Is it just racism? Like why people are against it? I don't know. I don't, I don't even look at it like that. I don't know when I, there's, there's rap music. I like there's rap music. I don't like. And if, if I like it, then uh, I'll just, you know, I'll try to incorporate it into my music. Yeah, I just look at it into things I like, and to me, it's not. If there are misconceptions, if there are misconceptions, it is what it is. Like I, I don't even, I, that doesn't factor into my thought process as to why someone would like hip hop or not like hip hop or 
like like I could see why someone would not like some of the electronic music that I study and listen to is it's very basic in terms of melodies and 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 in terms of uh but my the way I value it is because of the the production side you know they're creating yeah. these like very nice textures and like just insane like in electronic music they they mix insanely loud and and stuff like that like it might not be the best in terms of like it doesn't make me feel like a, when I listen to a Stevie Wonder song, some of these electronic songs don't make me feel this way. But I just really appreciate like, man, they're getting these these, these kick drums, these bass lines, all the effects so loud and in your face, and and, and it sounds great to me. That, that that's why I listen to some of those songs, and it, it gives me a different feeling than when I I love a Stevie Wonder track or I listen to another pop song or whatever it is, you know. And so like, as a listener, that's just what what I it certain feelings it gives me. And then as a producer, when I'm making these things, I just I want to portray certain emotions, portray certain um, ideas from a story, and then, uh, yeah, that, that, that's just how I approach. It. I don't, I don't look at the misconceptions. If people don't like hip hop music, they don't like hip hop music. If they don't like uh, some of the electronic music out there, then they don't like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm fascinated by both, by both genres. And I, I mean, like as I've mentioned a bunch of times, um, I really don't know enough about hip hop to really talk intelligently about it um but i absolutely respect it as an art form and i look at the individuals who are doing it male and and female as if they are the beat poets of today as if they are the jack kerouacs of today um and, and i think it's really needed um and I love electronica as well. I just don't know enough about it. I mean, I've put you on a couple of my, um, of my like, uh, music hour podcasts. Um, but I just don't know enough about it. You know, you know, like electronic music, when I think of it, it's so like, um, even I could consider hip hop electronic music and, and the lines yeah. kind of blur, you know, because when I listen to like, I love the soundtrack to Blade Runner. Who's the, the producer. I think is. I forget who who it was. But oh, the, the, who was that? Was that, the, was that um was that Hans Zimmer? Who No 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 because uh, Blade uh, okay. All right, dude, how old are you? I'm thirty uh I'm thirty uh four. But okay. uh so, so Blade Runner came out right right about the time you were a baby. Vangelis, Vangelis. Okay, but, oh, but Vangelis. Look, yeah, 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 yeah. And that synthesizer music. I oh, mean, it's awesome. like that, you know what I mean? And to me that's yeah. electronic music. It's just not the the typical when you think of electronic music or you think of electronic dance music, that's not what you think of exactly. But a lot of the stuff that they do is a lot of that synthesis, you know, stems from those pioneers who made like, and he created a just awesome atmosphere and, and environment for you to watch this film in. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, sure. when I say terms like electronic music or, or, or hip hop music, it's just, um, yeah, I don't look at it like as, uh, you know, as a pigeonholed kind of idea or anything like that. It's, it's interesting too. Cause I, you know, here, here's my other 53 year old thought process on it. Um, like when I started playing in bands, um, like my, my first gig was in April of 84. Um, and synthesizers had been around, of course. I mean, we had bands who were, who were, who were using it, but there was still such a, like a cultural backlash against, um synthesizers and i i come from um from a, a more you know classically trained uh, pianist background um yeah. and synthesizers like when i was a teenager 
and when I was coming up and I, I, I was playing in a church as well, and they were just like, they just, they, they got such a dirty uh, connotation to them. And um, so it, it's interesting now to see how electronica and synthesizers are, um, are absolutely mainstream, no problem, no, nobody really cares about it. Now, to be honest with you, like my, my preference, of course, I, I will always want to sit down with um, an acoustic guitar or an acoustic piano, um, but, but I, do, I, I, I do find it really fascinating how um, they used to be look, frowned upon, looked down upon, you know, synthesizers just in general, or, or even drum machines, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But they, you know, uh, they're very expressive, even uh, today. And uh, I mean, just like we brought up the Blade Runner soundtrack, that stuff is very expressive. You know, yeah. you can't acquire some of those sounds from real life instruments. Well, what, what a lot of people don't know, especially like the, the non-musicians, is that the, the keyboards today are very expressive. Like, and what you and I mean by that is like the harder you press, the sound changes or you'll get a vibrato out of the sound or something right like that they're all very touch sensitive and that wasn't the case uh you know for me growing up it, you know back then it was kind of like you know you get what you get you know i mean there's a there is a world of difference between the synthesizers from um you know tears for fears and depeche mode and bands like erasure and yaz to what you guys are using today i mean it's it and it's um god I, I in an order of magnitude it's five times better ten times better you know in terms of functionality and like um the, the things you can modulate and automate yeah but like in, in terms of at the end of the day they're just still the basic sine waves i mean the basic um yeah. the oscillators being uh, uh whether sine waves square waves saw waves they just uh they just more ways to manipulate it today That's yeah like, well, so so now, talk to me about gig. Like, do you do you go out and do any gigs, or, or are you just pr pretty much a musician who works out of the house and and? and I just do a I just do a, a production. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I I've I mean uh, we during our, we had a Bitcoin party here in the Bay Area in nice. December, and I played it. I made a little set to play at the party. It was like an event, a small little club. So like uh, I've done uh, just little things like that, or or we'll play tracks here and there. But uh, for the most part, I just. Uh, I, I do production. I, okay. I don't really do, do live, like live DJing or anything like that. Well, okay. I haven't done it. Right on. Well, now, what do you, well, because one of my favorite questions to ask music is, is best gig and worst gig. And, and you're like, well, I don't do a lot of gigs. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> um, what, what do you think has been the most um, surprising influence for you? For me? Yeah. Hmm. Like if you think back of like all the different bands you like and all the different music you like, you know, what, what, what do you, what ha has influenced you in a surprising way? I mean, you know, in some ways it's kind of like, what, what's your guilty pleasure? You know, it's like, you know, do you like Judas Priest? Do you like Spice Girls? Do you like Bananarama? Like, you know, what are you surprised that, that you've been influenced by? That's a good question. I never even thought about it because I'm influenced by so many things, you know, we're influenced like, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of got me, but uh, lately I've been listening to a lot of, uh, just cinematic music. Very, yeah. uh, very like just piano compositions lately, just because they do a great job of, uh, uh just doing like uh, moods and everything. But uh, I can't, 
I'm inspired by so many things. Like, uh, I remember I used to work at a job where we did so much 3D printing. <laughs> and, like, the 3D printer sounds like a modular synth, like, making noises. Yeah. And it, there's all of these crazy noises. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, so, like, uh, I've been just inspired by all, all kinds of random things. Um, I guess one thing is lately is, uh, in the last couple of months, is I've been collaborating a lot with uh, Bitcoiners on this, uh, on Stemster. Uh, nice. I guess uh, we, we've just done a lot of i've just remixed and i've just sampled a lot of their stuff so i guess that's another different avenue than typical like i, I would typically to get like different like uh samples like that i would buy sample packs or stuff like that but this yeah. time i'm collaborating with bitcoiners on sensor which is pretty cool that's really cool we're, we're going to talk about bitcoin in just a second but i wanted to but w w what that reminded me of is um there's a guy who's about 20 years older than me who who was kind of like a, a a TV celebrity back in the day. He was he was the host of a show called Entertainment Tonight. Um and his name is John Tesh. And John's actually a, a a pretty good piano player, pretty good composer, that that type of thing, right? Like kind of like Vangelis, kind of like Yanni, that type of shit. Um and he got hired by CBS to um write like some songs or do kind of like a soundtrack for the tour de France, you know, the bike race. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was composing like in the van from, from what I remember reading, he was composing in the van and then they'd throw it all over to, to, uh, to tape, or they might've even been one of the, might've been one of the first projects thrown over to a hard drive. Um, but I remember I bought that record when I was in high school back in the late eighties and I was reading up about it, um, and reading about the project. Um, and I, and then I met him, I was working the Grammys in LA, um, in the, in the nineties and I, and I met him and I got a chance to ask him, I said, Hey, listen, I, I read somewhere that like you had used you, the, the car door as on one of your songs as the snare drum, like you ran a microphone outside, you slammed the car door and you use that as a snare drum. Is that true? And he said, yeah, that was absolutely true. It was a, it was a sob, uh, you know, the, the old Swedish car. Um, so I, I, you know, it's so funny to, 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 you know, kind of, uh, understand where synthesizers were and where sampling came from. Whereas nowadays you don't even need to leave the house to get yeah. a good sound, but that 3d printer at that job of yours, you, you might go, oh, damn, I need to bring in a mic to work You know, get that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, it, it drove me insane after a little while, but when I first heard of it, I was just like, "Man, this this is like, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool." Yeah, so I I, I was kind of rambling on that, but when you when you brought up the sound of the 3D printer, the first thing I thought of was John Tesh using a car door for a snare drum on that record, and I don't, dude, my brain is so wacky, I don't even know wh why the hell I thought of that, but and, no, and, I, I I love percussion. We're not the, like typical yeah. percussion, like hats, cymbals, rides snares are cool and uh i i we everybody uses them all the time but uh some of my favorite stuff is just like that uh like the 3d printer or cars or like um there's foley a lot of foley for like movies yeah. and stuff that yeah. i use that in my typical drum tracks too because it just gives it a nice little texture where a lot of electronic music a lot of it is synthesized so you know bringing these real world textures kind of give you a space you know like an like like a setting yeah and it, here's the other funny thing that i think about too like a lot of those old synthesizer sounds, the old Moogs, the old 808s, the old, you know, like, like the drum machine that Tears for Fears used for Everybody Wants to Rule the World. 
-hmm. a lot of that classic gear has has really come back in vogue right like from from 95 i would say from like 95 until 2015 probably about 20 years i i personally think that the quality of synthesizers and the quality of amplifiers were god-awful and i the technology has caught up today to where like if you're a touring guitar player or a touring touring bass player you don't need an amp you can just go out there with a kemper right but like there was that 20-year gap where all of these manufacturers had to um kind of relearn how to make great instruments and so many of them went back to the original core elements of the moog and the and and the juno um and even even the the, the dx7 to a certain extent but it took kind of like 20 years of really bad production for people to realize the beauty of those original instruments and now we have great digital uh you know um modelers right um but the, but uh, you still have some of those old old dusty boards floating around today. Like I, I don't know that that's just my take on it. I, I I'd be curious to know, like what your um, setup is at home. Like do you you know do you have like one I, con one controller? I, 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 you have one MIDI controller that I, I honestly now um, one MIDI controller and the rest are software instruments. I used to have like analog synths. Like I had yeah. an analog synth years back, but honestly going. But there's timing issues too because you know routing all this stuff with a computer and then in electronic music and hip hop music we use a lot of plugins, a lot of different yeah. instruments and, and effects, and so I am entirely in the box now and I mix entirely in the box, and um, and speaking of you know the old synthesis like yeah they, they, one thing that they uh, that uh, they're famous for is just their their oscillators is you can't replicate a lot of them like you, yeah. you know those Moogs and like uh, the Junos you can't re replicate it you can get close you can't replicate it. But uh, but the, the, those sounds they they inspired like so much you know, <laughs> and so yeah. I love them. And but for my setup, pretty much everything software in the box. I use virtual sense, and uh, I mix virtual. Um, yeah, I just do everything in the box and on, on the PC. What's your controller? It's just a basic uh, M Audio MIDI controller. It's just a uh, forty nine keys. It's just forty nine. That's it. I don't. I, everything oh. has a mouse and keyboard. Oh, I'm not. I'm not killing me. I'll be. I'll, I'll tell you. Like when, when I write songs, I write a chord progression, and I, I I record that in, and then uh and then I start, you know. Now I'm not a real musician, but I start drawing the notes in, and you can manipulate velocity of keys, sustain, and all these things, pitch bends, and I just draw the rest in. So I, I write down. I, I'll play super like basic uh, ideas on the keyboard, and then I draw everything. I draw the rest. The, 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 the workflow right. is very very different. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't play piano, like what, what he just said in terms of, of his keyboard is that he's, he's basically playing a keyboard that, that probably seven, 75% of what a normal piano is. Like I, I only have one keyboard too. Right. But I, I have a full 88, 88. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a Roland and I, and I love Roland. Shout out to Roland if they ever want to send me a free keyboard. Cause I love their product so much. Um, but damn, like you're using a 49 and and I, and here's the other thing, dude, I, I had one of those M key 60 ones and I, and I like, I sold it. I'm like, I can't fucking understand this thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, all it is, is this, it's just a trigger. Like sometimes yeah, I use yeah. it to trigger drum samples, trigger, uh, and I'll, I'll sample like samples and I'll trigger these chops 
And so, yeah, it's just a very different workflow. Yeah. yeah. Let's just say that. It's What's a very different workflow. Are, are you using Ableton or what are you using? I do use Ableton Live and uh, I love it. it. To me, it's like an instrument in and of itself, just the way you can manipulate yeah. audio. Yeah. And uh, the way routing works in Ableton Live is awesome. A lot of these, uh, uh, like I talked about virtual instruments and virtual uh, processors, effects, uh, they route, they, they create these plugins with routing of the doll in mind. And so like, it allows me to do all kinds of very complicated routing to just to make the mix sound awesome. Yeah. I, I use Ableton, uh, off my laptop when I'm running tracks for people in a live setting. And I just, and, um, and I, I was, I was actually talking with Enid, uh, Malel, uh, one of uh, Man Like Quack's buddies. I did an interview with Enid a couple weeks ago. Um, and I'm like, man, I just, I can't, for the life of me, I can't figure out how to, how to, how to do it without having it skip. You know, it's driving oh, me out. The, the audio buffering? Yeah. Like, it's like we're just using it for like click, you know, like, like, like there's two channels, right? Yeah. There, there's two tracks. There's a click track and then there's the tracks. And, like whenever I run it off my laptop, um, I shut down like all the Wi-Fi, everything else. I like, you know, like the only thing that's running is Ableton. And um, and I've got all the buffering settings right. And it's kind of like a crapshoot. It's like, am I going to skip today or am I not? You know, and I'm like, does the audio cut out entirely or is it crackling? No, it, do it doesn't cut out and it doesn't crackle. It like, whoop, like it'll, it'll hold for uh for just a millisecond and skip oh, and like everybody in the band's like oh okay here we go <laughs> oh that's interesting i i yeah. never had well I, I don't do a live setting so i can't even assess yeah. i i have a i w w one of my one of my really good friends um who um i can't name him and i can't tell you who who he tours with he has specifically asked me not to say anything um but he is out there touring with the best of the best he is a tech and he um has told me time and time again that's really the the only way to get around that if you're going to use tracks in a live setting um is like you know you go out there with hard with you know standard hard frame computers right like you know your old like a mac tower or a um or a pc tower or whatever and mm. and he's like you know th these bands that are out here that are using tracks they're running pro tools off of their PCs are off of their Macs and they have backups ready to go. You know, he's like, you know, you, you're out there doing gorilla stuff, running Ableton off your, off your laptop. But you know, that's just, he's like, Ableton is, is the greatest product that you're, you're ever going to hate. You know, I mean, he loves mm -hmm. it. He, he uses it for his personal projects and runs his lights off it and everything like that. But he's like all of the, all of the major touring artists, they're going out there with, um, you know, with full on, um computers that have nothing but that daw on there and yeah. uh, you know with backups and all that kind of fun shit so anywho yeah. all right let's let's move on to i mean yet you and i could geek out over that stuff <laughs> for hours um yet you referenced that you're working with some bitcoin artists on stemster so and, and you referenced that um you know you, you had a you, you've done a gig or two at the, at the bitcoin meetup there in san francisco um how did you find bitcoin and and how did you find value for value well bitcoin it was 2017 i was uh i was really into trading biotech stocks at the time like i think my whole division was where well, i was in uh, i was former military as well but my whole division was very into trading biotech stocks and then uh one guy told me about all this crypto stuff and then uh it, at the same time my brother was telling me about it 
And uh, I just got into it from the trading aspect, you know, trading all kinds of coins, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, over time, I think uh, in 2018, I used to, I went to see Andreas Antonopoulos and I read uh, the Bitcoin Standard at the end of 2018 or the beginning of 2019. And that really just taught me everything uh, about Bitcoin. And uh, I just been down that rabbit hole ever since. Wow. So that was that cycle, 2017, 2018. And then, uh, uh, you know, yeah, just trading through the whole like uh, the boom. And I thought I was genius. Dollar cost averaging to zero on all the crap coins. And then uh, and then now I'm just uh, Bitcoin. And uh, yeah. the transition into Stemster and value for value and all that stuff. Well, like I think it was 2019 uh, when Wavelake was in the alpha. It was like, or 2020, I don't remember what year it was, but it was very early with a wave lake. And I was like, man, I really, I, it might've been 2020. I was like, I want to test it out. And then I tested it out and I just kept doing it. And uh, they're growing pretty rapidly uh, for the last two years. And I, and then uh, I like the the model. I like the business stuff. Cause I remember back then selling MP3s for 99 cents at a time. And yeah. the, the cuts would change. Like I remember in America, you would get 69 cents for every 99 cents. And I, I look at my CD baby and I'm just looking at different regions. It was, it varied. Some, some regions give you 94 cents, 92 cents for every, for every MP3 sale. And, and, uh, you know, under a Bitcoin standard or, uh, it'll be that, that model is just going to be a lot different. Yeah. That's uh, the, you, you bring up a lot of interesting points. First of all, let, let me ask you what, what, what branch of the military did you serve in? I was in the U S Navy. Right on. How many years? Just five. Oh, all right. Good, 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 good tours. Did you have a good, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had a good time. Like, uh, yeah, yeah I had a good time and, but it was time to move on. I just thought it was very unhealthy, but, uh, yeah. I enjoyed my time there. Well, um, what a lot of people don't know with respect to CD baby and payouts and, and like what country you're in is yet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I, I have a friend, um, that I toured with for a couple of years. He's from Sweden. He actually, he lives in New Jersey now. Um, but he like, he, he he's got buddies that um like they will specifically host their music um or you know or stream their music through pcs out of um sweden because the streams pay more and the royalties are better out of sweden than they are out of out of other countries oh and people don't realize that you know like no, there, there was a big difference because america was i remember 69 cents versus like some like some places in Europe was 94, 92. Yeah. That's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. It's like almost, you know, you're pushing 30%, you know. But like, yeah, like he's got a couple, like a couple of his buddies, like, like they set up like streaming, almost like streaming farms, you know, or you know, wow. or they'll buy. And, and the, the other thing that people don't realize is that, you know, that like streams, they are just like likes, they are just like followers, you know you or even the olden days when somebody would release a record and some and a member of the family would buy 10,000 copies of the record to pimp up the numbers like yeah you you can buy streams you can buy followers you know like this whole this whole thing of organic uh followers in the fiat world i think is just absolute bullshit <laughs> I, yeah. I I do, you know. I agree with you. I mean, because it, it, you can buy anything, you know. You can buy any. God, I mean, you can buy politics. And then in today's world, it's uh, buying playlist spots, getting on the Spotify oh, yeah. playlist. And that's yeah. the that's the new. Uh, it used to be payola on the radio. 
Now it's just buying uh, <laughs> spots yeah. on, uh, uh, on playlists. It reminds me of the Big Lebowski, honestly. Like when they're sitting there in the in the cafe, he's like, "You want a tow? I can get you a tow. I can get you a tow with plenty. You know, we're gonna have it here in two hours. <laughs> you, you can buy anything. You can buy anything. <laughs> Anyways, that's just the way my weird brain thinks. So how do you how do you explain value for value to another musician? Like like if I, you know, if you and I were, were to meet at a bar. And you're like, oh, oh, you're a musician, dude. You got to get into this because you can get paid in Bitcoin and you can have this direct interaction. Like, how would you explain value for value to a fellow uh, composer, a fellow DJ, a fellow artist? How would you do it? I would say it's like uh, it's like Patreon without the big fees, you know. And, and it's not consistent. It's not as consistent. So like. Um, Sometimes you get 20 sats, 30 sats. Sometimes somebody gives you 100,000 sats, 50,000 sats, you know? And so uh, it's similar to Patreon with minus the big fees. People are telling me Patreon takes like 15%. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, it's pretty high. And so I would just tell them it's, it's similar to that. And it's just uh, streaming is already damn near free already. You know, like uh, the, the way you do this, it's not like MB3 days, you made a, a little bit more money, but the, the streaming is essentially free. And so, um, it's just another avenue to potentially get some, uh, some, uh, some, some money. I mean, the money's not much at the, at the time being, but I can see it growing. Cause you know, when Adam Curry started the whole podcasting in the early two thousands, yeah, I never really cared about a podcast until I would say I, I learned about Bitcoin. So like 2017, 2018 era, so that's almost two decades. So the infrastructure for the value for value stuff and the lightning to, I mean, uh, podcasting 2.0 stuff and all that lightning infrastructure is being built out now. Who knows what happens in a decade and then uh maybe your song lives in a decade maybe not likely not but uh, uh you're helping pioneer like the the infrastructure for the next uh testing out the infrastructure for the next decade or, or at least i hope it'll be around and uh yeah that's how i would tell them it's just uh, another another avenue to collect revenue and then in, in, th in this this revenue you're collecting it doesn't get debased it doesn't get stolen from yeah what I tell people and, and, and tell me how I would improve it. Right. What, what I tell people like it, like if I were to meet you, I would say, Hey man, look, you're, you're probably already putting up your songs on Spotify, on iTunes, on Deezer, on YouTube. And you're probably not making any money. And that's, that has nothing to do with the quality of the work that you do. That has everything to do with the fact that your song and nine, 99,999 were uploaded yesterday. Like you, you know, when everybody, when there's too much of a commodity in the market, the value of that commodity goes down just like fiat currency does. Right. So what, what I tell people is why not add this to your business plan? Why not add this as a separate revenue stream? You might make 10 bucks a month. You might make zero. You might make a hundred. There's, there's, there certainly are artists out there. I mean, Quex is making, you know, a hundred bucks a, a week or so. Last couple of, last couple of weeks over on Wave, like he's been killing it and God bless him for it. But you're already giving your music away. So why not try a rev a a legitimate revenue stream that's proven the technology works that the fan base is growing 
the store of value is legitimate, is legal. Why not try that? You've got no. nothing. You've got nothing to lose. I agree with the nothing to lose part, and I would also add in the friction is so low. Oh yeah, the friction is very low. Uh, 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 getting a Lightning wallet, uh, there's no, there's no ID you sign up for. I know sure it's custodial, or whatever. There's no, um, th there's no bank accounts associated with anything. It's just the friction is so low, and and um, I would not be surprised if this next bull market of in Bitcoin really drives a lot of adoption from musicians. And uh, yeah. I can I can only imagine all the uh, like these value for value podcasting 2.0 just just exploding. At least I hope that's my hope. That's my hope. And uh, yeah, that that's the most important part. The friction part is just so low. You know, like yeah, yeah it's yeah. awesome. I think I think somebody and I've I've said this many times. I I think somebody is going to go mainstream from here. Um, it, it could be you, like you could, you could pop as like the next Calvin Harris type thing, right? Uh -huh. It could be, it could be Joe Martin. Uh, yeah. it, could be, it could be Sarah Jade. I, who knows? Like there's a lot of really good talent in this. I and, agree. um, I don't think it's going to take that many years to get there. I think yeah, the, the prevailing number I hear from people in in the community of value for value disc jockeys, if that's what you want to call us, is like, yeah, we're like five years out. I'm like, eh, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. Somebody, Ooh. somebody's going to pop from here. Somebody's going to go that they're going to go mainstream, and then we're going to wake up one day, and then there's going to be a shit ton of artists in here. There's going to be, uh, you know, more Bitcoin users that are going to ditch. Spotify and iTunes. I, I don't know that they're ever going to ditch no Spotify ditches. and iTunes. Yeah, but they're going to start adding in Podverse and True Fans and Fountain mm. and things like that, and start. You know, they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll move twenty bucks in stats over here. You know, you know, I, I, I think you're, I think you're right because the, you know, like, uh, I, I just thought of Sailor. You know, say like before Bitcoin. Say I never heard of Sailor. You know, yeah, I, I remember in 2020 him coming in. He's like, he's also a billionaire. So he wasn't the most famous billionaire, but he was a he was a, a billionaire. So what if like uh, uh what if like the next bull market like what say Bitcoin passes 100k, a lot of hype around Bitcoin. What if what if mid level artists? I'm not saying Taylor Swift is going to join like a wave lake or or, or put the, uh, you know try to encourage people to tip them satoshis, but let's like, just say I'm uh an artist with a decent following or maybe a couple artists with a decent following and like because the friction is so low, it, like you said, nothing to lose to just uh incorporate this into their business model yeah. and uh, you could see that rising tide lifting all the boats you know yeah another scenario is and and i was talking about this with my daughter we went to go see um a really great guitarist uh and songwriter in in the country genre his name is hunter hayes um hunter is about your age he and and his first record that came out when he was like 18 or 19 he played all of the instrument on, on it like the dude wow. is, he's a genius. He's brilliant. Um, and he's had a, he's had a host of number one hits. Like he, like he's a bankable artist. He's independent now. It, he's one of those guys who's like, you gotta be kidding me. That dude doesn't have a record deal. So what if somebody like Hunter Hayes or like a, um, a you know, I, I'm sure you could name off a couple of DJs very famous DJs who maybe they don't have a label deal anymore. But what if one of those guys were to go, Hey guys, I've got a whole new project out. 
and it's and it's over here on this brand new platform people are gonna freak like mm. that that could absolutely drive the market i don't think like taylor has taylor swift has no reason to come over here yeah she doesn't she doesn't but like like the, that's what i'm saying taylor wasn't the richest billionaire or the most famous billionaire but right. he's but by adopting this uh, whole bitcoin standard yeah. he's raising his profile raising his company his worth all, all of those things above so like you're talking about this hunter hayes guy which i'm looking yeah. at right now you yeah, know he's I, oh he's so good oh he's I, so good yeah. yeah, I can imagine someone like him just because uh, as Bitcoin grows in prominence, he grows too. Yeah, because he's adopting this new business model. Yeah, and, uh, and it's frictionless. Like like yeah. you said, he he doesn't even have to promote Bitcoin. He could just say, "Well, if you want to support me, you know, uh, an easy way and a preferred way is just you know donating through here." Boom. And it, it doesn't and, have to be a lot. And 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 the frictionless part that you bring up is so critical. Like the ability that you have as an artist to go into Wavelake or to go into Noster when somebody from Nashville goes, Hey man, this is a great track. Just the ability for you to reply and go, thank you. And send them back some sats yeah. is priceless. You know, the, 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 that tangible exchange of value between you and the listener that is monetized, right? Because if I look at your Instagram uh, reel or your TikTok and I'm like, ooh, that's nice, right? Like, what does that do? It doesn't do anything. But if, if, if I can be like, hey, man, that's a dope track. I'm going to send you a buck. You know, that is, is invaluable. That is invaluable. Um, and the reason why I bring up the frictionless part is like to get yeah. the, the publisher who brings it, puts it on the streaming platforms. There's so many agreements. You've given up a lot of this bank account information. They're taking a nice cut too. So before you even get paid from the Spotify streams and the iTunes streams, Apple Music, whatever, it goes through this publisher. Uh, yeah. Whether you're using all these publishers and then because they're connected to that digital infrastructure that Spotify set up and, yeah. and because they could, they could deal with all the legal legalese and everything. But like I said, this frictionlessness, it, it might not even be an artist. It could just be small labels, you know? It could be like, yeah. like in electronic music, uh, the label, the whole label concept is still pretty big. Like people follow labels because they put out a certain type of music. Yeah. What if what if uh, a certain labels uh, adopted this, you know? And then all, all the releases on that label went through the value for value model. Oh and, my God. Yeah, that's such a great fucking point, dude. Like it doesn't have to be the independent artist, yeah. Imagine sub pop out of Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine, or like some punk label out of Columbus, Ohio, which has a great punk scene. I imagine if they were to say, all right, all of our artists, we're going to distribute all of our artists through this platform. And, and we're only going to, now what's interesting about all of this is the role of, of the performing rights organization, like an ASCAP or a BMI mm -hmm. or a label or, or whatnot. Because the artist can say, screw you guys, I don't need any of you, I'm doing this directly. So if, but if a forward-thinking label were to do this, they could absolutely crush it because they could, because they realize that the overhead is different, the distribution is totally different, and they can, they can help their artists, you know, get more money by doing it in this way and now they're going to have to take uh, a le lesser cut, you know, but, but the opportunity is there. Like, would you like to sign with a traditional label label where if you're lucky, you're going to get, you know, 
a dollar out of every 10 if you're lucky or would you take a smaller independent label who's like hey man we'll give you you know what we're going to distribute this all on rss feeds and noster and you're going to take 60 70 percent of it nine times out of ten that band's going to take that smaller deal just because they, they need to eat you know yeah so i i'm fascinated by where this is going to go and and he, here's another example kind of like the the hunter hayes thing like i i think again i i believe somebody yeah, some independent no name uh, you know with all due respect such as you or joe martin who who the general world doesn't know or sarah is going to pop and and pull over or there's going to be a legacy band a household name like um you know like it, it could be a matchbox 20 it could be a richard marks it could be a hunter hayes or somebody who's going to go screw you guys i'm going over here and it drives the whole thing over you know like that that's just where i think and and i think it's going to happen sooner than later. in a year you know uh, two years i think later. i side with you i, I think a lot of people because uh, a lot of people are too bearish on the on this value for value music and the, the whole split system is just pretty awesome i really like the splits yeah it's very very awesome yeah yeah it it has to and it is awesome it's gotten better in the last seven months um you know what we have been pushing for um, because there's a lot of people here in Nashville who, you know, if like you, me and Joe sit down in a room and write a song, like if, you know, if we're putting together that great country record, right. The three of us are, are, are each going to take a third of that, but then you and Joe and I might have publishing companies. So now the splits are up to six, right. And then Joe being the baller that he is, not only does he have his own publishing company, but he's got a pro publishing deal with somebody else. So now the splits are up to seven, right? And then when we go and have that song produced, we're broke musicians, but the, the guy who produced it for us said, no worries, you don't have to pay me now, but I want 40% of the master. Now the splits are up to eight, right? Yeah. So it's nice to sit now. The, and those are real world scenarios that happen every day in nashville every day in nashville hundreds of songs are written under that same pretense and when we first got into the space those types of splits didn't exist and we had a lot of conversations with adam on the back end just so he would understand where we were coming from um but now everybody's doing it because we've been able to help you know teach everybody hey man this is like you you, you can't just put one one wallet address to the song like that works great for me and my buddies that recorded a record 20 years ago. Nobody gives a shit about that band, you know, but if you, me and Joe sit down and we've all got professional arrangements with everybody else, you very well could have eight, nine, 10, 12 splits on a song. That's just the way it goes. And if you don't believe that, uh, you're wrong and you need to open up the latest Beyonce record and look and see how many songs. Look at the writer's credits. Look at the writer's credits. Amen. Exactly. Amen. So this culture, this business model, value for value, um, it's it's resolved that in the last couple of months, but it's going to have to get tighter. And Better. It's gonna, okay. It, it's going so to have to get solidified. When you say a year, I think once we get that infrastructure built out, I'll give it a year before it starts blowing up because you yeah. kind of do need that infrastructure built out. I don't think yeah. uh, we we can do that any anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm just so thrilled to be involved with this, man. I, I think this is the coolest thing. Like, I think, 
you know, when I was, I've told the story a million times, but like when, when, when my, when my solo record came out in 96, like I was literally knocking on doors in LA trying to get labels, you know? Um, and you don't need to do that anymore. You know, you guys, yeah. these, these, these damn kids, they've got more chances and they do, you know, they got more, they got more tools at their disposal than they've ever had before. So, all right. Well, listen, we, we, we've been yapping here for about an hour. We opened up with God candle and we're going to close with the flood. So real quick, tell us about God candle, the song we opened up with, what the inspiration was and, and how you got it done. Okay. So the God candle. Okay. This is one of my favorite songs I've made in, in recent times. Uh, the inspiration was everybody's talking about ETF, God candle, all of these things. And to me, what God candle represents is the last trade to adopt Bitcoin for dollars. It becomes a point where you don't trade Bitcoin for dollars. You just trade Bitcoin for cupcakes or for brake service or oil changes, whatever. Nice. And so to me, the God candle is like the last candle traded ever. And there, there is no more Bitcoin price. Bitcoin is the money. And so that's the, the concept of that song. And uh, the way I made it was uh, I, I was just working on a, a, a trap beat where it's just these um, uh, trap is a, a type of electronic slash rap music. And so like it's these trap drums. They're very hard hitting drums. And then I wanted something epic. And I have like these uh, very just um, epic synths in it. And then the, the synth lead is very epic. So the first half is all rap and trap. And then the last half is a, um, a type of music we call, uh, a type of trance music we call psychedelic, or they call it side trance for short. And this is just this pulsating bass line that's just very fast 16th notes bass lines. That it's just, it's like, it feels like you're galloping. You know, the bass line feels like it's galloping. And to me, the whole, the whole track is just building up to that point is to, it gall it, it, we're, we're racing and pacing towards that God candle, the last trade for, for any amount of uh, dollars. And that's the idea of God candle. It's this very uh, hyper Bitcoinization, essentially. That's a great, that's a great premise. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. All right. So, yeah, so okay. tell us, tell us about the song that's going to take us out. T tell us about the flood. The flood. I wrote this in 2021. I wrote this. Uh, I was, I had a, I had the main groove. It's these vocal chops. They're pretty epic. And um, I, I, I made this, uh, this group for the longest. And then I listened to a Tomer. Thomas Schrolight, he's this Bitcoin writer. He did this podcast where he was just talking about heroes and Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, I really liked it. And then I wrote the, the intro and the bridge piano after listening to his, his podcast. And then the flood is essentially uh, the flood of lies or this flood of fiat contrasted with the, this hopeful idea of, of honest money and Bitcoin. And then the, in the middle of the bridge, it, it tells you like, uh, don't, you know, um, there are many heroes in Bitcoin, including the, the one you're looking at in the mirror yourself. And so that's all it is. It's just this, uh, the symbol of truth standing against the flood of lies and the flood of uh, dishonest money. And it was Love inspired it. by Thomas Sherlight. And uh, he helped me write it uh, just from his podcast, not like him personally, but you listen right. to his podcast and talk about heroes. And I was just, I wrote the piano piece and I try to make his epic song. That's cool, man. Well, that's, that, that's, that's going to be a great way to take us out. So, all right, so they can find you on Wavelike just under the name Richard, right? Yeah. They can find you on Noster and Twitter and YouTube, right? Yep. Is it under and it's under Real Richard R E E L Richard? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. R E E L. Yeah. Right on. 
Uh, Richard, I really enjoyed the conversation. I love your thought process about characterizing, adding characters to different to the different elements of uh, instrumentation. And um, I hope to see you out here uh, in Nashville soon, man. I, are, are you coming out for the convention this summer? For conference? I have another trip in April at the same time, so I'm not. Oh, fair enough. Well, it, it, the, the one I was talking about is in July. So. Oh, in July. You guys have one in July? Yeah, the, it, big, uh, the big national one. The Bitcoin conference? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like July 27th downtown. It'll be hotter than hell. <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know it's not like uh, i thought it was april uh, for some reason i thought that was april or i'm thinking of the having party or something oh yeah you're probably thinking of the having party oh well, yeah, if it's july then I, there's a chance i can make it right on well i i, I hope you do if you do uh let me know because i i definitely want to uh, i definitely want to uh, meet you in person so um sure. thank you so much for doing this man i i, I really appreciate it and we'll uh well, stick around. We'll talk offline. But here is the flood, by real Richard, on the Phantom Power Artist Hour. just that. They are changing the world through this project called Bitcoin. Bitcoin does have heroes. And if you're looking in the mirror right now, chances are you are seeing the face of one of those heroes. So don't tell me that there are no heroes in Bitcoin. Just be one. And that is The Flood 
by Real Richard here on the Phantom Power Artist Hour. I really gained a whole new appreciation for this art form, for this style of music, by talking to him. And now every time I listen to one of his songs, I'm going to start to try and visualize the characters that he had in mind when he was writing the song. Um, and it's also still, to me, as a guy who's a bit of a Luddite when it comes to writing, you know, I prefer to write with an acoustic guitar or an acoustic piano. I have mad respect for dudes who are completely in the box, guys and gals. And, and when he says in the box, what that means is everything that he's writing and everything that he's composing is in the computer. Like he's got that one 49 note keyboard and the rest of it is all software. Um, and if you do not think that that is music, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. Richard, thank you, sir. That was a cool interview. I dig your stuff, and I hope to meet you in person someday. So that'll do it. That is episode, gosh, I don't know, 10? Yeah, 10 of the Phantom Power Artist Hour. Next week, uh, we're going to have Daddy Nat on the show. That is going to be cool. Uh, tomorrow, Monday, hopefully I'm going to be able to post a conversation from the Noster event that's happening in Phoenix this weekend. And um, don't forget the Phantom Power Music Hour that comes out on Wednesdays and the review, which comes out on Fridays, although I think I had to skip last week because I got to go out of town. I don't know that I can get that done. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys for all the sats and the, all of the support. If you love this show, please send us some sats. We could always use it. Cool? Cool. Value for value, folks. Ride or die. Talk to you soon. <laughs>